Colossians chapter 3. Welcome back to Bible time. We've been studying the old man and the new man here in verse 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We've studied that out in a lot of detail. We've studied a lot of the works of the old man down through chapter 3, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, etc. And we looked at Galatians last. Let's pick up there where we left off. Galatians chapter 5, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. You didn't think I could get that much in there that fast, did you? Well, there you go. Lasciviousness, idolatry. It's good we can have some fun. Um, But this is serious stuff here. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's the works of the old man, that dirty, rotten, no good old man, the old nature, the old creature. We study the old creature and the new creature, how that in Christ you're a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He says in verse 22 of Galatians, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. That's the putting off of the old man. That's what that means. How can you crucify the flesh with the affections and the lusts? So here's, here's the key. Whenever you are living dead in trespasses and sins as a lost man, you, are tr- you try to control your flesh by the energy of your soul and the energy and power of your flesh. So your flesh is trying to control itself. The problem is the devil comes along and he lights your flesh on fire from time to time and you go into worse sin than you ever thought you would. You do things you never imagined you would do. We've talked about before. No little child wakes up and says, I want to be an axe murderer. I want to be a mass killer. I want to um, have a family and leave them right at the most important part of their developmental years and walk away from them and leave them broken and weeping. Nobody just wakes up at seven, eight, nine years old and says, I want to do all these wicked things. But the flesh is wicked. The flesh is depraved. And as much as you try to control the flesh, along comes the devil and he lights it on fire. And the fire is only controlled by the sovereign grace of God. The reason that most people don't just absolutely blow out is just because the Holy Spirit restrains them. The Bible teaches us in Thessalonians that the Holy Spirit is he that lets, which the old use of the word let is to prevent and that the Holy Spirit is letting, preventing the enemy, the spirit of Antichrist from overrunning this whole world. You think it's bad now, but it'd be a whole lot worse if the Holy Spirit wasn't supernaturally and sovereignly restraining the evil. And he does that in our lives. God puts up walls and blockades to keep us from destroying ourselves until we get to a time and a place where he works and deals in us and convicts us of our sins. One of the worst things that can happen to the old man is described in Romans chapter 1. He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And they dishonored their bodies amongst themselves. And they go into all kinds of sins there. It says men with men 
and um, working that which is unseemly. And likewise also the women did leave the natural use of the man and burned with lust one toward another. And it said, and it speaks that they received that which was meat in their bodies, the, the punishment which was meat in their bodies. And we know of all the diseases and the sicknesses that are exacerbated, that are carried forward and are passed along because of sexual immorality and the sins of the flesh when the flesh is lit on fire and the restraints of God are removed from it and the death and the destruction and the sorrow and the agony that comes into the lives of people who throw off God's rule and push away the Holy Spirit until they're given over to a reprobate mind. Now, the new man, the new creature, has these fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. What an amazing statement. Now that all ties back to the Colossians where the whole chapter 2 of Colossians is dealing with people being beguiled of their reward and being um, spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. And I want today, by the help of the Lord, to discuss the new walk of the new man that is not after the philosophies of this world. It's not after vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. It's after Christ and Christ alone. I want to talk about the new walk of the new man that prevents you from being beguiled of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels and shooting into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up with his fleshly mind which comes there in Colossians chapter 2. I want to talk about the new walk of the new man that the Bible says in Galatians is not under the law is not subject to the law. Now, there's two different ways for that. There's the, we know that the old nature is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, but the new man is not under the law. That doesn't mean that he's rebelled against the law, and we'll look at that today. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is probably the most misunderstood and maligned chapter in Christendom whenever it comes to um, people that believe in a basic, what we used to call evangelical or fundamental faith, that believe the basic tenets of the faith. And, and listen, if you're not what they would, would have called evangelical or fundamental, you're probably not saved. The basic idea of those, word, of those terms was to give you the sense that someone who is evangelical or fundamental believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, died a perfect substitutionary death on the cross, was buried in, in place of my sins, and rose again the third day, and he is alive, and whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And if, you don't, if you're not part of a group that could be described in those terms, you're part of a cult or a false religion, or you're a pagan. Because that is the embodiment of the gospel. That is the embodiment of salvation. That's the simplicity of it. It doesn't get any any more simple, really, than the way that I just described it. Um, maybe just a little more simply put. But the reality is that if you take away any of those facets, any of those parts, if you say Jesus wasn't really a man, you don't have salvation. If you say Jesus wasn't really God, you don't have salvation. If you say Jesus wasn't sinless, you don't have salvation. If you say Jesus didn't really die. You don't have salvation. If you say he didn't really raise from the dead, you don't have salvation. You, you must believe the gospel in order to be saved. That's the basic understanding of the gospel. And amongst people that ha hold to those beliefs and at least say that they believe that with their mouth, Romans chapter 8 is probably one of the most misunderstood and maligned chapters. 
Now, Romans chapter 7, which I believe we read the other day, says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, Hebrews calls the law carnal ordinances, carnal commandments. Carnal ordinances, carnal commandments. But here it says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So there's more than one law. There's a spiritual law. There's a carnal law. There's the law of the washing of the unclean, the cleansing of the lepers. There's the dietary laws of what the Jews could eat and drink and not eat and drink. There's the laws of sacrifices, which it begins there in Leviticus and goes through all the laws of the sacrifices and special laws for the priests. So there's the Levitical laws that are specific to the priests. For example, a priest could not marry a, if he had a wife and she died, he could not marry any old girl that he wanted to marry. He had to marry her that had been the wife of a priest and was, had a pure marriage relationship there or who had never been married. But he could not marry someone who had been married to anyone in any other tribe, even if her husband had died and she was free from the law to marry another. So there were laws that applied only to the priests. Now, this is something that people really just, they, for lack of a better term, they get all messed up. They get crossed up about this because, and, and it's so obvious, there are laws that applied to Aaron and his sons. There were laws that they had to keep that were specific to only Aaron and his sons. And then there were laws that were specific only to the Levites. And then there were laws that were specific only to the group called the Nazarites who would do the Nazarite vows, not uh, vows, not the Nazarenes, the Nazarites. And they would um, eat no grapes and stuff like that. No razor come upon their head uh, from the time of their vow. There were laws that applied only to lepers and to the unclean. There were lies that are laws that applied to the clean people. And then there's the moral law of God and the moral law of God applies to all men. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands. Thousands of them that love me and that keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Um, Honor thy father and thy mother. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. These laws reflect God's moral nature. And these laws, when they are violated by people who never received the Ten Commandments, are still punished by God. God told the children of Israel, See that you do not after the abominations of the Canaanites who I am sending you to destroy. He said, Don't look at their pictures, don't let their images into your homes, don't do what they do, wipe them out completely because for the sake of the sins that they have committed, am I destroying them? Now, God had not given the Canaanites a Mosaic law. They did not have Moses. They did not have the Exodus. They did not have a Mount Sinai experience, yet God judged them and wiped them out because they had transgressed the law that he was giving there to the children of Israel. There are the laws that God gave before that. God gave law to Abraham. Abraham. He gave him specific laws that only applied to him. For example, he gave circumcision unto Abraham. Well, he did not give circumcision to Lot. 
God gave specific laws to specific people and specific groups. God gave Noah a covenant, and in that covenant, he gave Noah specific laws, and those laws still apply today. If a man kills a man by the hand of man, shall his blood be shed, right out of Genesis 9. Not all laws are equal. Not all laws are on the same level. Some laws trump other laws, and that's the same as it is today. You might be rolling your eyes at me right now, but this is absolutely critical. You say, what does this have to do with the new man's walk. It has everything to do with the new man's walk, and you'll see that as soon as we are able to lay this foundation and move on into Romans chapter 8. You see, everyone is supposed to be governed by law. God has set law to keep order in the universe. There are laws of gravity. There are laws of thermodynamics. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Those laws hold are to man. Man is not held by that law. There are laws of time, laws of place that you cannot break. It takes you time to change your place. If you want to go to point from point A to point B, you must expend energy to go from point A to point B. If you want to roll a rock up a hill, it's going to take energy and it's going to take time and all of that is measurable. All of it is orderly. The planets in their circuits in the universe operate under the divine edict of Almighty God. They operate under the sovereign law of the sovereign Almighty God who created them. Everything operates based on law. And when you break laws, you suffer the consequences of breaking those laws. Everything is based on law and order. And everything that breaks laws suffers the consequences of of those laws. The human body is not designed to sustain a leap of 160 feet. And I used an analogy the other day of a man who was going to base jump 160 feet off the boom of a giant excavator and he tripped and he fell and his body broke the law of gravity and he suffered the consequences of the breaking the law of gravity. His body was not able to sustain it and he perished. And what a horrible way to die that is. Everything is based on law. The very first man God ever created was given law immediately. God told him to keep the garden. God told him to name the animals. God told him to take his wife, to be his wife. God made one man and one woman, thereby establishing the law that governs marriage. Jesus said in the beginning, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his wife and leave his father and his mother and clean unto his wife and they twain they two they twain shall be one flesh god almighty has set the law of marriage in the universe he set it in heaven and he set it on earth and no man can violate it now this plays out in all manner of life here in here in america we have municipal codes that would be city codes or city laws and i'm sure many of you do in other parts of the world and other parts of this continent even out in the bush in Africa in a where it might be a very what people would use the word primitive culture there is still law and order there's the law of the man in his house there's the law of grandma in the African bush because it's a very often a matriarchal system and so grandma may rule in the house but the chief rules in the village and if grandma says something that contradicts the chief there's a there's a small battle that's going to ensue until someone proves whose law is a higher law in any given situation 
And that happens, that happens in every area of life. So we have municipal codes. A city may make a law, but that city may violate a county law. And that county may have violated a state law. And the state may have violated a federal law. And when it gets all the way up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court will rule whose law stands. And in the United States of America, the ruling of the Supreme Court is so powerful that it can overturn the legislation legislation of the House of Representatives and Senate of the United States of America. So there is, in every aspect of life, there's tiers of law. You see this in the police. You'll have city police. County sheriffs can go and operate within the city. They have um, an ability to do that, but they have limits that they can do it. They can only do so much, and they have to cooperate with the city police. But then the state troopers, who are our state police officers, have the ability to go in any county and any city in the state, and they have rules that govern their cooperation with the other law peacekeepers, but they can go into any city or any county in the state and have a great degree of authority. And then we have federal marshals, United States marshals that can go anywhere in the nation with authority to arrest. Now, why did we spend the last 10 minutes talking about laws whenever we're trying to talk about the new walk of the new man? This is the reason is, and get ready, buckle up, hold on to your hat, The new creature in Jesus Christ has liberty because he has been put under another law. Romans chapter 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if well her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God." So, what the Bible teaches here is that upon salvation, you become free through death to the law, and you may be married to another, which is Jesus Christ, through the body of Jesus Christ, so that now you are bound to Christ and his law instead of the law of Moses. Look at what our text says here. It says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Boy, we could spend weeks right here in this text, but we're going to try and just plow right through it. Do you see what this is saying? Free from the law... But why? There's a song, free from the law, oh happy condition. How does it go? Free from the law, oh happy condition. Christ talks about how Christ has made me free. Wonderful song there. It says here that we're um, dead to the law by the body of Christ, that we should be married to another. There is no case in the Bible where you are simply at liberty to be your own law. There is no case in the Bible where you get to do whatever's right in your own eyes. The, the common 
understanding of modern evangelical and fundamentalist movements has been that when I'm saved, I am now free from the law to do what I think is right, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, that's dead in trespasses and sins. That's the way a lost man thinks, and the reality is that that exposes that the vast majority of our evangelical and fundamental people in the United States of America are actually lost men masquerading as saved men because they are lawless. They do not live according to the law. Now you think I've gone off the deep end because the Bible says that I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. But did you know that grace is a law? Did you know that grace is a law? Let's look at it here today. It's a different law. It's a higher law. It has more authority than the law. But if you are not operating according to the demands of the law of grace, you are not under grace. And if you're not under grace, you are under the law. You hear me today? You claim that you have liberty. You say that you have liberty and that you're free and that you're not under the law. But because you are not submitting yourself to the law of grace, you are not under grace. And it is evidenced by your rebellion to grace. You say, what do you mean rebellion to grace? I prayed. I asked Jesus to save me. I'm going to heaven when I die. And now I'm just going to go and live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And Jesus has saved me. I don't need to worry about anything. Once saved, always saved. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I can live like I want to. I can watch what I want to. I can wear what I want to. I can listen to what I want to. But... I'm eternally secure because I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And I'm here to tell you, if you are living like that, you are not living under grace. Grace is the power and the desire to do what God wants me to do. Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and holy in this present world, says the book of Titus by divine inspiration. If your life is full of worldly lusts and not, and you are living instead of denying ungodliness, you are enjoying ungodliness, you are not under grace. You are a liar with all due respect and with all the love of my heart if you are living in sin and rebellion to God's word you are not under grace you are actually under the law and you are going to suffer the consequences of the law a lot of people that say I'm not under the law I'm under grace are actually living a reverse legalism which is called license in the Bible and license and legalism are the exact same thing exact same thing, just opposite extremes of the exact same lawless, disobedient, rebellious error. Both of them go about to establish their own righteousness, one by doing things that he thinks will make him holy, and the other by doing whatever he wants and claiming to be holy by position while living in an unholy manner. So here Romans 7 tells us we're dead to one to be married to another. You don't just get grace as some kind of arbitrary positional application to your status in heaven without getting a grace that changes your life. I thank God for grace today. I thank God for amazing grace. I thank God for grace to love my wife. I thank God for grace to shut off the TV and turn away from all the wickedness of the world. I thank God for grace that gives me the desire and the power to read my Bible and to understand my Bible and to obey my Bible. 
Now it says in verse 14 of chapter 7, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, for what I would that do I not, but what I hate that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And that ties in with 1 John 3, 9 um, and other verses that we looked at that deal with the fact that it is not my new nature that is sinning, it is my old nature that is sinning. But if that is true, then I will cry out with Paul here. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Do you see what he said? I delight in the law of God after the inward man. If you have a new creature, but your, your old creature is sinning, then you will say with Paul, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And if the law of God is not your delight, you do not have a new creature. This is absolutely simple. You say, why are you taking so much time on it? Because we have fallen from grace in this country in all of our churches across the land, and we are teaching another gospel and another grace. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And here is the cry of Paul that will be your cry if you have a new creature and your old creature, your old man is sinning. This will be your cry. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see, you cannot live in sin as a, as a new creature in Christ and enjoy it. It is over. The day that you enjoyed sin, you're the last day that you enjoyed sin is the day that you get saved. Did you hear me today? If you are saved, you cannot enjoy sin. Now, your members, your old man, will try to enjoy it. But, even, but what did Paul call it? He said being brought into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And every time you sin as a saved person, you will feel the bondage. You will feel the captivity. You will feel the war. You will feel the grief. And you will not be able to enjoy it ever again. That doesn't mean you'll never sin again, but you will never enjoy it again. And you will cry out with Paul, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now you're sitting there munching your popcorn, listening to this, trying to justify yourself today, maybe. And you're sitting there and you have on your shelf next to you a bunch of movies that are full of fornication. They're full of foul language. They're full of ungodly, adulterous relationships and affairs. They're portrayed by men and women who are not even married, who run around and act married and kiss on the screen and touch each other all over and act like they're married. And you're sitting there popping your popcorn. You watched those movies last night and you're sitting here nodding and saying, Amen, that's right. I don't like to sin either. But you will sit down and enjoy, enjoy watching the world do its thing. And it doesn't bother you at all. You can just sit there and enjoy it. The problem is you have redefined sin. You have defined sin to be the things that you feel like are sin or that your culture feels like are sin, and you have not submitted yourself to what God calls sin. So here you sit, living it up, 
enjoying the wickedness of this sodomite culture of this wicked world, watching your dirty movies, listening to your dirty TV or dirty radio shows, your dirty music and all that kind of stuff and say, I have no sin. If that's your case today, you have a false religion. You have the horse forehead. The Bible talks about you can sin and wipe your mouth and eat your food and drink your drink and say, I have committed no evil. I'm not really even talking to you much today. I'm trying to talk to the people today who really want to know if they have a true walk with God, who really want to get down to business with God. Well, here it is. This Paul cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, I don't want you to shut it off. If I, um, if, if you are here today and you're in denial, I want you to get right with God. And I love you today. Get over your denial. Call sin, sin. Admit your position as a open sinner who enjoys his sin and realize you're on your way to the lake of fire. If you're saved today, you'll say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he went on. There was an answer. He didn't stay there in Romans 7. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And here's the duality of the Christian natures. The Christian has the old man and the new man. The old man is the law of sin in my flesh, and the new man is the law of God in my mind. And the new man, that new spirit that is within me, is trying to rule, but my old man is ruling. Now, Paul gives us hope here in Romans 8. I'm telling you today, there is a new walk for the new man with his new creature. There's a new walk. There's the battle that is mentioned there in Romans 7, and that's the beginning of the new walk. That's where the new walk starts. The the hatred of sin, but the constant falling into sin. And as you fall into sin, the hatred of sin continues to grow, and you groan in your soul earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with immortality, earnestly desiring that the righteousness of Christ that was granted you positionally at salvation would be applied practically to your daily life, knowing that there's more to life as a Christian than constantly sinning and repenting and confessing your sin, that there's got to be something more, that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead must surely have the ability to give you some kind of daily victory in this life and you are right to desire that Romans chapter 8 there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit now what kind of condemnation did he mean that's the condemnation that caused Paul to cry out oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death now if you want to try and say that that condemnation is hellfire do you hear me today then you've got to throw out the context. Because here in the context, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he talks about the captivity of sin. He talks about the law of sin in his members. He talks about not being able to do the good that he wants to do. And he says explicitly, If I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So the condemnation here in direct context must apply to the condemnation of Romans chapter 7 which is the condemnation of a saved man who is trying to live a holy life and finding it absolutely impossible to do so 
That's the condemnation that God wants to deliver you from in Romans chapter 8. Not the condemnation of hell fire. That you are delivered from at salvation. The Bible says here in verse 2. We're just going to read verse 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So there is a new walk for the new creature of the new man. And that new walk is a walk in the spirit. Galatians says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There is a new walk for the new man. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Two different laws. But wait, there's more. Verse 3, for what the law could not do. There's another law. And that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law, another law, might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Four mentions to law here. This is why we spent all that time building a foundation of understanding about different laws. The first law mentioned here is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And this law, it says, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, what is the law of sin and death? That's the law that is mentioned um, back here in verse 21 of chapter 7. I find that then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, let me ask you a question. That law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Is that what God said to Moses on Mount Sinai? Did God say, thou shalt try to do good and yet evil shall be present with you? Is that what God said? Absolutely not. You will not find that anywhere in the Mosaic law like that. The principle can be found throughout in the fact that they constantly could not do good and evil was constantly present with them. But wait a second. Where did that law enter? Where did the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, where did that enter into humanity? At what point in the Bible did that become a maxim, an absolutely self-evident truth in mankind? At what point? Who knows? Help me out here. Somebody. Which is where? Genesis chapter what? Genesis chapter 3. So this law goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. God gave Adam a rule, Adam broke the rule, and sin entered into the world. And death by sin, for that all have sinned, the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I hope I got my references right. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of sin, death entered into the world. That's what we are clearly taught in the word of God. And that is the law of sin and death. The wages of sin is death. When I sin, I die. Death always comes for sin. So that's the law of sin and death. So verse 2 of Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. 
So there's the first liberty and, and law freeing from a law that the salvation of a man does is it frees him from the law of sin and death. Jesus said, he that believeth on me shall never taste death. Think about that for a minute. Boy, doesn't that make the devil mad. Because here's a sinner, and he deserves hellfire. He deserves to be cast into the lake of fire, which is what God calls death. And the devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And the devil himself cannot get what this man just got because the man just believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he's free. He's free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. My sins are gone. I'm free, free, free. I don't have to die. Jesus said, he that believeth in me shall never taste death. But it doesn't stop with the freedom from the law of sin and death. Look what it says. For what the law could not do in verse 3. What the law could not do. What law? The law that tried to do something. That's pretty simple, right? The law is trying to do something and can't do something. So which law is it? What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. So this law is a flesh of carnal flesh. It's a law of carnal ordinances, which is how the book of Hebrews refers to the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was a law of carnal ordinances. It's what the Bible says in another place, touch not, taste not, which all are to perish with the using because it tries to control the person through the flesh. The carnal ordinances are the laws that God placed on man's flesh. Thou shalt not kill, even though it's the moral law of God, is still a carnal ordinance. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Flesh controlling the flesh. God saying, don't do it. And man says, yes, God, I won't do it. And then man does it anyway. Read your Bible. Read your Old Testament. Read what happened. And you think you're better than those folks. Well, that's half your problem. That is half your problem. If you think you would do any better. I've, I remember somebody saying once, boy, I wish I could have go back to the Garden of um, Eden. I wouldn't eat the fruit. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah, right. In the words of the great Ronald Ned Mandela, yeah, right. And I love that man. That was my granddad. And he'd say, yeah, right. And that's what I say to you. And I probably got it messed up. Memories fade over the years. But in any case, yeah, right. You would eat it too. I would eat it too. So the law, the Mosaic law, the carnal ordinances were weak through the flesh. Now the law was not weak in its creation. The law is perfect and the commandment perfect and just and good. The law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law of God is perfect, converting the soul. The Bible says the law is perfect. God gave the law to show us the weakness of the flesh. So it did exactly what it was designed to do. But the law cannot make you holy. The Bible says that by the, um, the blood of bulls and goats. Oh, I forget it right now. How does that go? The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. To that effect, look it up. 
So here's the Mosaic law, the sacrifices to take away sins, the keeping of the law, the feasts, the ordinances, the carnal ordinances that were given there on Mount Sinai and following that time was weak through the flesh. The law could not bring you to holiness. So what was God's answer for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh? God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh not in sinful flesh in the likeness of sinful flesh Jesus Christ became a man God Almighty became a man that's what that says right there God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh how did God the son condemn sin in the flesh by keeping the law that was weak through the flesh Listen to me, young sir. God kept the law in the flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus Christ, as a man, perfectly kept the law. And it says, for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What was the purpose? Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If shouting could make you understand, I would shout my guts out. I almost feel like I ought to anyway. It's such a marvelous truth. It's such a wonderful reality. What God is saying here is that Jesus Christ condemns sin in the flesh so that you don't have to. You do not have to keep the law to be righteous. You must only submit to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the spirit of life in Christ Jesus living within me will keep the righteousness of the law and will make me like Jesus and therefore make me subject no longer to a carnal commandment and carnal ordinances touch not taste not but will give me the power through the spirit of God to live in this world and not be of the world and to live holy this is where it's at there's a new law the law is be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect the new law, the old law says, be ye holy for I am holy. And it's carried over in the New Testament. Peter says, as it is written, be ye holy for I am holy in absolute impossibility. But through the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, those that walk in the spirit do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, do not commit the sins of the flesh, do not indulge in the wickedness of this world, do not have anger, wrath, malice, hatred, bitterness, wrath, strife, evil surmisings, blasphemies, heresies. They walk in the spirit and the spirit of God through them makes them like Christ. And then along they go and they find that they begin to depart. And look what it says in verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So here they go and they start minding the things of the flesh. And as soon as they start minding the things of the flesh, which by the way, one of the greatest things of the flesh, young man, is saying, I need to read my Bible because I know it's the right thing to do. And then you sit down and by the power and energy of your flesh, you force yourself to read your Bible and you try to understand it with your flesh because you're not walking in communion with God. 
That's flesh. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. The flesh goes to church. The flesh likes preaching that tickles its ears. The flesh likes to read things about God. The flesh loves A.W. Tozer. And I've been gotten some help from A.W. Tozer, but I have found over the years I'm amazed at how much the flesh loves to read A.W. Tozer because he was so intellectual that a fleshly-minded person can grasp things from A.W. Tozer and feel that intellectual buzz and think they're getting closer to God while they have none of the Spirit of God in them. I'm amazed at the people who live wicked, carnal lives that love A.W. Tozer. And that's nothing against A.W. Tozer. That's everything against our flesh. What I'm telling you is the flesh can be very religious. The flesh can be very wicked, but the flesh can be very religious. And this is the root and the source of all extra laws that different groups and denominations place on people. You have to wear this. You have to do this. You have to go here. You have to do that. And they cannot prove it in the Bible. There's a principle, but then they make a law based off of the principle and the law is the traditions of men being taught as the doctrines of God. And if you don't do it, you can't be part of the little group. You can't go to church with them. You can't fellowship with them. That is carnally minded. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it, get this, get this, it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be. Wait a second. I thought I wasn't under the law. I'm under grace. That's what the Bible says. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. The Bible says here, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. You see, the law of God that God gave the Jews is superseded by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You say that can't be true. It absolutely is true. Let me give it to you this way. This is how God gave it to us. Here goes Israel. Israel was designed to be a kingdom of priests, and they transgressed the laws of God. They did not keep the law of God, and God said that he was going to cut them off and graft them in later, and he maintained his covenant with Israel and his promises with Israel, but in the meantime, he looked to call out a bride. Now, Jesus is the king. He's the king that's supposed to reign at Israel, over Israel. Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. He is going to rule over Israel. He is the son of David. The Gentiles have no right and no portion in Israel. But because the Gentiles were grafted in and there was a way made for them to be saved by faith, the Gentiles who are saved are now called the bride of Christ. Now, I want to ask you something. Whenever you are going into the presence of the king, there are laws that govern your entrance to the king. But I want to ask you, pay attention. Are the laws that govern a regular common man going into the king the same as the laws that govern the bride going in to see the king? Now, one of the worst kings in history for being just really mean and awful was Ahasuerus. And when Esther went into Ahasuerus, if he didn't hold out that golden scepter, she would die. But guess what he did? He held out the golden scepter. 
and the golden scepter being held out to her made her free from the law that was going to put her to death. Now, she would have died if it wasn't for the golden scepter. Let me ask you another question. If Esther had come in off the street and King Ahasuerus didn't know her and she went running into the throne room to ask the king to save her people, would it have turned out the same? You read history and look at how wicked and mean Ahasuerus is and I'll tell you what would have happened to Esther. She would have died a violent death. So whereas the law would have killed Esther... If she had entered as a commoner, because of her position as the bride, she was granted diplomatic immunity, so to speak, and she was under a higher law. Let that soak in for a minute. That's the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. But that liberty is tied to responsibility. Now, Esther, as the wife of Ahasuerus, everybody look at this. We're going to run this analogy. As the wife of Ahasuerus, she had responsibilities that the commoners didn't have. Do you hear me today? How about you? Do you hear me? I need some attention here. Everybody pay attention. Don't lose this. As the wife of Ahasuerus, Esther had responsibilities to fulfill that commoners didn't have. When Ahasuerus said, honey, I'm coming home for dinner tonight. Be ready. She had to be ready. And she had to be in a place of communion and closeness with Ahasuerus. And by the way, Ahasuerus being a wicked pagan king, he didn't care if she didn't feel like it. Mark it down. She had to be ready. She had responsibilities to take care of the king. She had responsibilities to keep herself pure for the king. She had responsibilities that involved bathing for nine months. A nine-month bath with myrrh and spices. Why? To purify herself for the king because she wasn't a commoner. And she wasn't under common law. She was under a higher law. But the higher law came with higher responsibility. I hope you're getting this today. Listen to me. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus raises a Christian from the common law. The common law of taste not, touch not, handle not. But what it comes with is higher responsibility. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The Bible says, I'm telling you, there is a new walk for the new man. Somebody that says, I'm a new creature, but they live in their old walk. They don't begin to understand what they're even saying. Listen to me, when someone is born again by the power of God, they are eternally saved. Jesus said, if you believe on me, you will have eternal life. Never taste death. And he made it without any condition of performance. Do you hear me today? When someone is truly born again, they are saved forever at that point. But when they are born again, there is a new creature created in them that is created in true righteousness and true holiness. And they become a receiver, a partaker of divine grace that teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. 
soberly and without sin in this present world. And I'm butchering up that verse in Titus. It, the, the Bible teaches clearly that whenever you become a partaker of the divine nature of Almighty God, you begin to take on the attributes and the life and the direction of Almighty God. And you have a new creature which results in a new walk. And if there's no new walk, it is strong evidence that there is no new creature. Do you hear me today? Strong evidence. You don't walk to be saved, but when you're saved, you walk. We're saved by faith, not by works, but faith that saves works. There's no way it can't work. Why? Why? Not because you pray a prayer and then begin to discipline your life and memorize Bible verses and post them all over the place and memorize steps to success and try and change your life through the power and energy of your flesh. That's not what it is at all. The reason faith that saves works is because faith that saves gives birth to a divine nature by power of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God cannot live inside of a human being without altering the outside of the human being. And it's something that comes naturally because it is a new life that is emanating from within. Jesus said, he that believeth on me out of his belly shall flow rest of living water will flow out of his belly it'll come naturally it'll come without you having to do it your part is to yield to the power of the spirit of god how do you walk in the spirit we don't have time to cover it in detail today i'll give you a couple verses one of the most powerful is in colossians we've already studied it out and we put it up on the podcast as ye have received christ jesus your lord so walk ye in him the same way you get saved you believe that the condition of your flesh is beyond repair, beyond renovation, and worthy of nothing but reproach. You believe, God, that you cannot reform, and you repent of the fact that you are a depraved and wicked Christian. That your body is a body of death. That your members are incapable of pleasing God. And you cry out with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And when you cry out in faith with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Jesus Christ himself will burst on your consciousness like you have never had him before. And Jesus Christ will enable you. Paul went from crying out, who shall deliver me, to saying in verse 25 of Romans 6, Seven, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so will you when the risen Jesus Christ bursts from the inner man into the soul and from the soul into the body and takes command and control of a vile, rotten, stinking, filthy flesh that cannot do right. And the Holy Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of the Son, who is the Spirit of the Father, and these three are one, living in you, now has the reins, now has the controls, and the things that you used to do, you don't do no 
no more because God lives within you and God living in with it within you changes you so that not only do you not do the things you used to do but suddenly you start to do things you never would have done before without extreme discipline and extreme patience and extreme care all of a sudden you find yourself sitting down with your Bible and you want to read it and when you read it it's nourishing your spirit and you have hope and joy and peace and God shows you things to change and you say oh God that that piece of nasty flesh I'm repenting of it right now change it I pray and God pours divine power and divine love and divine grace into your life and changes you again hallelujah to the lamb the Bible says you have not because you ask not and when you ask you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts the Bible says if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more shall your father which is in heaven give the Holy Ghost to them that ask and this is the essence and this is the reality of the baptism with the Holy Ghost this is the essence and this is the reality of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is that Christ living in me no longer just within my spirit bursts out within my mind my will and my emotions and renews me after the image of the of him that created him and I begin to walk a new walk that is a walk of faith not by sight a walk of obedience to the word of God a walk on a higher level of responsibility than the Mosaic law ever attained to as Jesus Christ said except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees ye shall not enter into heaven or the kingdom of heaven look it up in Matthew chapter 5 Jesus said it must exceed the righteousness of the greatest most disciplined law keepers that ever lived the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a higher law with higher responsibility and it is only attainable and only only able to be kept by the power of the spirit of God there is absolutely no fleshly way to walk in the spirit none there is no discipline. There is no prayer. There is no nothing that you can do to walk in the Spirit. The only way you can walk in the Spirit is to believe by faith what God said and to trust Him by faith the same way you get born again. And say, God, I want to follow you, but my flesh is nasty and I can't. But you said I can by the power of your spirit. You said I can have the Holy Ghost if I ask for him. And I'm asking you, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power and the desire to follow Jesus. And he will. And he will. Our text there in Colossians 3 and verse 10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Bless the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. Father, in Jesus' name, fill me with thy Holy Spirit. Give me the power and the desire to live and follow Jesus. In Jesus' holy name. And I pray that you would grant that desire. And Lord God, further that desire in the hearts of everyone that listens to this message. Lord God, that everyone that hears this would be moved, compelled in their spirits, drawn, Lord, to be conformed into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here 
and you are, you say, that's me right there. I've been trying to live the Christian life, but I've been trying to discipline it. I've been trying to make it happen. I recognize today that my life has been lived in the energy and the power of the flesh. I believe I'm born again because that battle has been waging in my soul and I have not found victory yet but I've been trying ever so hard I've been memorizing scriptures I've been working at it I've been disciplining myself I've tried methods I've tried steps I've tried all these things to try and be more like my Jesus but I'm only finding failure at every turn I exhort you by the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ cry out with Paul O wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death and turn from your own efforts to the name and the blood of Jesus Christ and receive by faith the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just to indwell you, but to fill you and thereby empower you to live like Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. I exhort you by the love and mercy of Christ that you seek this today. Don't ask to consume it on your own lust. Don't ask to get gifts and all those things so people can see how holy you are and how spirit you are. Just ask God, fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can be like Jesus. So that I can be like Jesus. And let me tell you, God's going to test you on that request. Because the first thing he's going to do is put you in a circumstance that only Jesus Christ could walk through without blowing it. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be tough. And it's not going to be a place of limelight. It's not going to be a place of applause. It's going to be a low place. It's going to be a despised place. It's going to be a humble place. And when God puts you in that humble place, he's going to test you. Are you going to fight and fight your way back out of this in the flesh? Or are you going to yield and make yourself of no reputation and take upon the form of a servant like the Lord Jesus Christ and humble yourself and shut your mouth and stop fighting and let God move in your circumstances? Are you going to be filled with the Spirit or are you going to walk in the flesh? God's going to test your resolve. But I exhort you by the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ to resolve today to follow Jesus by the power of His Holy Spirit. Thank you and I pray for you today. Father, touch all these that have prayed today. (coughs) That have prayed today and asked you to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Lord, touch them today. If this is you and that's what you want to do, I'm going to ask you quietly, wherever you're at, if it's possible to stand, even if you are um, driving, don't stand, but do something to show your submission to the Word of God, not to this preacher, and to right now pray something in the from your heart to this effect. There's no magic words. But if this is your desire, stand and pray this to God right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you believing that I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Believing that you have made me a new creature in Christ. But knowing that my flesh is sinful. And the good that I would, I do not. And that which I would not, that I do. And I find a law in my members today. Warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death, which is in my members. I am a wretched man. I'm a wretched man. Or if you're a woman, cry out to God, O wretched woman that I am. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Father, in Jesus' name.
Please fill me with your spirit. Please quicken me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Not so that others can see my gifts. Not so that others will think more highly of me. Not so that I can feel good about myself. But just so that I can follow Jesus. Please, Lord, fill me so that I can be like Jesus. Conform me into the image of Christ. Change me today and give me power today to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that was your prayer, I encourage you today. God has heard you and God God will never turn away that prayer. That is His will. And if we know that we pray according to His will, we know that He heareth us. And if He hears us, we know that we have the petition that He asked of that we asked of Him. That's 1 John 5. And that's clear that God will answer that prayer. But I encourage you and I exhort you to make that your attitude on a daily basis. That when you wake up in the morning, that you consecrate yourself to the Lord and ask Him for a fresh anointing of His Holy Spirit. A fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit of God to live like Jesus and to be a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm.